Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, episode 18. Welcome to another edition of the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Brannon. Today is episode 18, where we talk about the 10 worst things about family business. Last week, we talked about the 10 best things about family business. And as I shared last week, this list comes from two places. It comes from my experience of working in a family business the first four or five years out of college. And it comes from a bunch of experience working with clients who have um, children in their businesses or uh, working with clients whose parents started the business. So I've seen it from both sides. I've experienced it from the child coming into the business, and I've worked on both sides of the table, if you will, from uh, the parent bringing a child in or the child trying to take the business to the next level uh, after the parent had started it, or in some cases after a grandparent had started it. So a lot of a lot of the points that I'll bring up here in these 10 is such an arbitrary number. It's one of those things that you you go, oh, well, I've got nine, so I might as well get 10. This could be, it could be eight, nine, 10, could be 11, 12, 13, because you could break some of these down a couple of different ways. But the the point that I want to make last week and this week is that family businesses really are unique, and you only have to walk inside one Uh, or spend a little bit of time inside one as an employee to understand all the different dynamics that happen when you have uh, a parent and child working together in a business. And it doesn't matter how old the child is. I think a lot of of what I'm going to talk about today and a lot of what we talked about last week, uh, especially, I I think, I guess a lot of the stuff that we talked about last week especially pertains to younger children. And a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about this week it could be age agnostic, or it doesn't matter whether you're talking about young children coming into the business or whether you're talking about older adult children um, still in the business. Maybe they've been there for a number of years. I see a lot of these, especially the worst side of things, apparent in older relationships as well. I think some of this stuff you outgrow because it could be more of a maturity angle. I think when you talk about opportunities, a lot of the opportunities um, – do present themselves to the younger generation in a family business that just don't exist for their counterparts in their professional career. So let's jump in. Going toward this, this is something that can be ascribed, I think, almost always to the younger generation if you're talking about a younger child coming and working in the business. Uh, But I guarantee you that this also happens when you've got older children, 30, 40, 50-year-old children working in the business. And it's this know-it-all attitude. Um, and, and it usually crops up in two different ways. There's an assumption, and, and this, doesn't, this isn't just family-owned businesses, but there's often an assumption that knowledge is power. And it's easy to see people who think that this is the case because they're usually kind of the quintessential gatekeepers and they may not be official gatekeepers. And a lot of times where they abuse this is an unofficial gatekeeper where it's not their job to keep you away from the higher-ups in the company or the owner of the company, but they see it as an opportunity for them to exercise and possibly gain some extra power. And they do this not only with access to the owner, but with access to the information. And when you have a family-owned business and you have a child who sees information as power, um, they have a lot more opportunities to get information than the rest of the the business does in terms of their coworkers, and they'll milk that for everything it's worth, and then they won't share it with the people around them, and so they they hoard all kinds of things. They may they may hoard financial information. A lot of times they'll hoard information about key customers. Sometimes it'll be about key supplier relationships. And they may not even have anything to do with that side of the business, but they know these things and they keep it from other people and they'll dole it out in little bits and pieces to try to curry favor or to demonstrate that they really do have some authority in the business. And it can be very disruptive in terms of not just morale or culture, but in terms of communication within a business. It's interesting when 
good friend of mine, Doug Pohl, who does a lot of uh, business executive coaching, and he's very good at it. And one of the things that Doug does when he goes into a company is an organization-wide engagement survey where he, he gauges the level of engagement that the employees have in the business. And one of the things that comes out time and time again, it, I haven't cleared this with Doug, but I would imagine that almost always the number one finding or the number one thing that the company needs to work on is communication. So when you have somebody, especially if it's a family member who's close to the owner, and they see that or they have this perception that knowledge is power and they hoard it, they act like this, this logjam in the communication flow of the company, especially if the owner is expecting that they'll disseminate some of this information. A lot of times owners will communicate you know, cultural values or the way that certain situations fit into the cultural values of the company through their children. They'll, they'll communicate this stuff to the kids expecting that, well, I told the kid how you know, we needed to let this customer go because they weren't really compatible with our company or they did something we didn't like. And, and you know, I sat down and we had a 45-minute lunch where I explained to them all the reasons that, yeah, the revenue hit was going to be painful, but this was the right thing to do. And they just expect that the child's going to go out there and spread the gospel about why this particular customer was let go. And the child does nothing with it because they see it as a power trip. And they can use this to their advantage at some point in the future. I don't know how they're going to use it to their advantage, but a lot of times they think that they can. And that can be a very disruptive thing to the business. The other place where a know-it-all attitude affects the business is a belief that access is tantamount to leadership. That just because they can walk into the owner's office anytime unannounced, they feel like that makes them a leader in the business. And there's a lot of a lot of things that it's often viewed to be other than leadership. It can be, we're going to talk about favoritism later. And that's certainly something that, uh, that may be perceived by the employees. But regardless of what the perception is, an employee who views themselves as a child of the owner who views themselves as a leader, just because they have access to the leader is going to, run into uh, all kinds of issues with the real leaders in the organization because one of the things that children will often recognize is that, you know, I'm not a leader if I don't have any followers. And so they'll go try to pull followers along with them through coercion or through these chummy relationships. Whichever way they can get them, they'll try to pull other folks in the business behind them so that they can look, look behind them, look over their shoulder and go, well, I've got followers, so I must be a leader. And they'll use this access as a way to justify to themselves that they are, in fact, a leader. What's happening is that those people that they've pulled along, coerced, talked into following them, really should be following somebody else in the organization. And this can be hugely disruptive where you've got teams that are shorthanded because a child has this special project that they want to work on. And they think that just because they got dad to sign off on it, it makes them... uh, the equivalent of a vice president reporting directly to the owner. And meanwhile, these other teams are going, why can't we get resources for what we need to do? I went through all of the, the budget approval processes and HR and all that stuff to get my team put together. And, and now I don't know what's going on. So one of the know-it-all attitude, you know, that's one of those areas that could be broken down into two or three sections the other, the other one that shows up all kinds of ways, the second you know, worst thing that I would say is this entitlement attitude. And this can be more like a cancer within the organization. If you've got a child who comes in and just thinks that because they're the child of the owner and they have the same last name, they're entitled to shares of stock or they're entitled to, um, to, to uh, pursue their special project or they're entitled to hire whomever they want to hire or they're entitled to take out you know whatever petty cash they want to take out just because they've got the same last name you, you it's hard to imagine something um, more cancerous to an organization than entitlement attitude and the only thing sadder than the entitlement attitude is the parent who doesn't recognize the entitlement attitude or, or just shrugs it off um, or in some cases encourages it so one of the things that everybody has to do is keep their job. 
But when you have this entitlement attitude, it's the, the attitude is that, well, I'm always going to have my job because I, I've, I deserve it. I've, I'm entitled to it. Not that I've done anything to earn it, but it's just mine because it's mine. And when you have that kind of attitude inside a company, it's very common to see a lot of turnover around that individual. And we'll, we'll oftentimes see, um, you know, if that child is at, say, a, a junior manager position, they don't report directly to the owner formally on the org chart, but they, um, they report maybe to a level underneath that. And if they have this entitled position, you'll often see turnover around them. You'll see people who aren't able to move up in the organization yet, but they're definitely willing to move out just to get away from that. And the reason is when you talk to them, they go, well, they act like they're entitled to the position that they have now. So the next promotion that comes around, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get it. So, you know, why am I going to stick around? I'm going to stick around for two more promotion cycles you know, and I'm going to be three or four years behind on my career track because I waited for this person to clear out because obviously they're going to get the position before I am. And you lose a lot of talent at that middle level of the organization. If it's higher up, you may lose talent, but I think this particular area does more damage the lower in the organization it is. If you have, um, the, you know, the equivalent of the mailroom clerk who's the, the owner's son or daughter, and they feel entitled to that position – you're going to have the most dysfunctional mailroom in the entire city <laughs> because everything about what that person does and comes to work today is going to interfere with the people who really are there to try to get better and to try to move up to the organization. So number three, an inability to deal with anything other than the children's success. So these first two where we talked about the know-it-all attitude and the entitlement attitude – those had more to do with the children. You're kind of putting that on the child's plate and going, well, if they weren't like this, then we wouldn't have this problem. But this one, this this third one, has everything to do with the parent. And this inability to do anything other than have your child succeed, in other words, you won't let them fail, can create all kinds of problems. And the biggest problem it creates is for the child and is – and when you talk to parents about this, and I've had these tough conversations with business owners uh, who have their kids in the business, and I say, you know, you have not given them a chance to fail yet. And the last thing in the world you want to do is see your child fail, but I'm telling you, the best thing that you could do is have them fail. And that includes the big opportunity to lose a job. Um, you know, a lot of kids just aren't competent for the level of performance they've been been put, where they've been put in the organization, what they're expected to achieve at, they're just not capable of doing that. And anybody else who's been who would be put in that position would not measure up and would be moved to a different part of the organization or asked to leave. But kids, over and over and over again, you see these kids that come in and they're just not hitting their numbers. Uh, they're having continual run-ins with management. They're upsetting customers. Um, they're missing production deadlines. They're responsible for major errors in product or service delivery. And the parents never address it. And when the child doesn't report directly to the parent, it creates other problems because the manager who's supposed to be holding that child uh, accountable to the work that they're doing and the standards that are expected of everybody else feels like both hands are tied behind their back and there's nothing they can do. So when you have a when your child comes into the business, let me backtrack on these these top three. So the know-it-all attitude. <laughs> the first thing that you need to instill in your child is the values of the company. And a lot of times when I see either the know-it-all attitude or the entitlement attitude in a child, you won't what we have in the company is a situation where the company hasn't developed values yet. The company is kind of, I don't want to say it's valueless, but it hasn't articulated what the most important values are. And, the, and that's the owner's role. That's really what the owner is supposed to do in terms of setting the mission and the vision and the values of the organization. And you have to articulate those values, actually physically write them down, and then you have to become evangelistic about them. You have to share them. Every time you get the opportunity to talk about 
the values of the company, you have to take advantage of it so that people remember them and they see how they actually fit into what the company does and how the company acts on a day-to-day basis. So uh, a know-it-all attitude runs contrary to just about any value you could imagine inside a company, whether it's uh, caring for customers. If you have a know-it-all attitude, you're not going to be able to care for customers, whether it's um, sharing the truth with employees you know, being honest with one another, if you have a know-it-all attitude, you don't admit when you're wrong. You don't admit when you don't know something. If it's about hard work and, and putting forth our best effort, a know-it-all attitude isn't very conducive to that because people who think that they know everything tend not to work as hard. It's just a, a you know, they, you can have hard workers who are arrogant, but it's rare to have somebody who's arrogant and who is respected and trusted as a, a hardworking colleague. So for both of those, I think uh, the know-it-all attitude and entitlement, the first thing the business owner needs to do is work on the values of the organization and how they communicate that to everybody, including their kids. The inability to deal with anything other than the child's success really has to do with laying out the standards for performance and putting somebody else in charge of holding the kid accountable if the owner is not a, is not able to do that. And that requires uh, it requires some courage from the parent. Um, a lot of times when you see a parent who's not willing to let their child fail and you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that the parent and the child don't have that great of a relationship. And it could be that the only thing that they really have going for them is the business relationship. And the reason the parent is so reluctant to let the child fail is because they're scared to death that they're going to lose that too. So if I don't have any other relationship with my kid other than the work relationship and I allow that to go south because the kid's just not performing, then I may find that I don't have anything left and we just kind of part ways and continue to drift apart. So, I mean, how do you work on this inside of a company? How do you work on this with a business owner? You know, this is one of those areas where you really need to encourage the parent to do some stuff outside of the office or outside of the shop with the kid to work on that relationship. And, you know, when you're talking about somebody who's 20 or 30 years old, 40 years old as a child, even, you know, you get to like 50 years old. I've worked with some kids who are in their mid-40s, parents in their mid to late 60s, early 70s, and you know, if if they don't have a relationship yet, I mean, really, there's it's not a lot you can do. I, I don't believe it's ever too late, but you know, they're going to need some help just building that that basic father son father daughter relationship, or mother son mother daughter relationship. You can't undo thirty years of parenting, thirty years of relationship with your parent. Um, in the span of, you know, of a quarter when we're trying to work this into the strategic plan of the company. But I will say that just about every time I see a parent who's not willing to let their kid fail, they don't have a great relationship with their kid outside of the business. That leads to, well, I'm going to skip down to, uh, to one. We'll call this one number four. It was number five. But work becomes the dominant driver of the relationship. And this goes to exactly what we were just talking about. If Even if the kids do have a great relationship with their parents, even if the parents do have a great relationship with their kids, if you just put it on autopilot and you don't do something intentional to build the relationship outside of the business, then work will become the dominant driver in the relationship. And it's it's not anybody's fault. It's just because when you're spending... 40, 50, 60 hours of work, a week with somebody in a business and you get together for one hour or two hours on a Sunday afternoon for lunch, guess what the topic that most often comes up is? It's going to be business because you've, you've spent 50 hours that week working on the same thing. It's just natural that you're going to spend a couple of hours together and the first thing that's going to come up is business. And this is where, you know, the spouses roll their eyes and, and they, the kid, the other kids, the siblings that don't work in the business roll their eyes and the grandkids roll their eyes because all dad and grandpa ever talk about is business. So one of the things that I've told business owners before when they, and they've got great working relationships, like the, the, these are, 
you know, dad's number one in the company and junior's number two, or dad's, you know, he's kind of there 20 or 30 hours a week and he, he has somewhat of an oversight role or works with some key customers, but the child pretty much runs the business day to day and it's working great and the business is profitable and everything's going well. And I've told these folks, even who have great relationships inside the business, you know, I've asked them, what are you doing to work on your relationship with your dad or to work on your relationship with your son outside of the business? Because if you don't, then the, there's, come, there's going to come a day when the two of you don't have this in common. There's going to come a day when dad retires permanently or it happens a lot of times. Dad works until dad gets sick. And all of a sudden, you know, dad's not there for 20 or 30 hours a week anymore because he physically can't be. And what happens when that relationship is not there is that the two naturally drift apart because they have nothing else to talk about. They have nothing else that, that matters to them that's common ground. So work on it when the relationship's good. Work on it when business is going well so that when, when dad does step out or when something does go bad, you have something else to fall back on. I've seen this happen in the recession where family-owned businesses went under. And it's probably one of the saddest scenarios you can you could witness where father and son had a great relationship in the business. The business did fairly well for you know 20, 30, 40 years. And then the recession hit and because the business had too much debt or because the market shifted under their feet, or they just weren't ready to um, to make some of the same moves that their competitors were making to stay in business, the business failed. And you see two people who used to spend five, six days a week together, and now dad decided to just hang it up and retire permanently. Junior had to go get another job somewhere else, and they hardly speak to each other anymore because they don't have anything in common now that there's not a profit and loss statement that they have to discuss or a production schedule that they have to meet about or a key customer relationship that they have to go close. So work on the relationship outside of the business all the time. Be intentional about it. And one of the easiest ways to do this is just set some boundaries for when you get together. You know, when we eat, we don't talk about business. <laughs> you know, and so and that's one that's a simple thing, but What's the number one thing they talk about when they get together and share a meal, whether that's a lunch during the week or whether that's the families getting together on the weekend? It's almost always business. So just set that simple rule. We're not going to talk about business while we eat. Or when we get together on the weekend, we're going to make a point to get together once a month on the weekends and get the families together and business is off the menu. We can't talk about it. So just be intentional about it. It's the biggest thing. One of the things that uh, that business owners often get into trouble with is a presumption that the business is as important to the child as it is to the owner. And a lot of owners, you know, they they started the business obviously, and it's hugely important to them. One of the reasons that they want the kids involved is because. It's so important to them. The business is important to them. Their children are important to them. So let's put two things that are very important together and have the best of both both worlds. And it's not it's not that they're ranking the business up there with the child, but this is just something that they're passionate about. It's their life's work, and they want to share it with their kids because they they want to share it with people that they love. But a, a lot of times, the business owner can fall into the trap of believing that the business should be as important to the child as it is to them. And you have to step back. And one of the ways that I encourage business owners to get their arms around this is I say, tell me how you get start, got started in your business. Tell me about your career, the earliest days. What were you doing? And a lot of times it comes down to what were you doing right before you started this business? And for a lot of them, they were working in the industry but they were working in the industry as an employee. And so I'll, I'll ask them. So, uh, you know, Mr. Smith, you run this medical parts business. And um, so what were you doing before you started this medical parts business? Well, I was working for Mr. Jones, and, you know, he hired me. I worked for him for five or six years. What did he do? Oh, he was in the medical parts business too. Oh, really? So 
Why did you leave Mr. Jones parts business to start your own? Well, because I wanted to do my own thing. But you're basically doing the same thing here that you were doing there, right? Well, yeah. But here, you know, here it's mine. Well, why was it, why was it important for for it to be yours? Well, it's just important for me to create something on my own. Well, why was that important to you? Because I wanted to know that I could do it. Okay, well, there's a couple of things going on here. Number one, it was important to you for you to know that you could do it. And that may not be important to your child. The fact that they may not struggle with needing to validate their career path by knowing that they could have done it themselves. So, you know, you're, you were not going to be happy unless you're a business owner. They may be perfectly happy being an employee. The other thing that's going on is for you, that business was an extension of things that you wanted to do, things that you wanted to accomplish. You believe that there was a right way to do things. Otherwise, you would have kept doing it for Mr. Smith and doing it his way. But for you, it was important that you do it your way. So not only did you need the validation of it being yours and you being successful doing something on your own, but there were certain ways that you wanted to do things. There was a certain uh, formula that you wanted to patent or a certain process that you wanted to put your stamp on. And that creative uh, impetus that exists for you may not exist for your kid. They may not want to create. They may, and it may be great for you that they don't want to create. Maybe the, the best thing about this relationship is that you're great at starting things and they're great at running things. So one of the things that you have to get your arms around is that just because this business is hugely important to you, it's your baby, it represents the validation of you being able to start something on your own. It represents the validation of you being able to create something that has your stamp, your signature on it. And you eat, sleep, and breathe that because it's the culmination of 30 years worth of work. That doesn't hold true for your kid. So you have to you have to get used to the fact that there are going to be days when you come into the office and they don't seem as passionate about this business as you do. There are days that, that they may not want to work until 10 or 11 o'clock because it's still your business. And... That here's the really hard news for a lot of business owners is if the child really is built from the same cloth, if the child really does share a lot of those entrepreneurial, um, that entrepreneurial DNA with mom or dad, then they may not be as passionate about the business precisely because it was started by dad. They may need to go out on their own. And I think this is one of the things that definitely played into has played into the fact that I'm not working for the family business. You know, I spent four years working for my dad, um, and I grew up in a home where my dad owned his own business. I knew, I knew as far as I knew, as far as I knew, that I would run my own business someday. So for me, that opportunity to run my own business was something that uh, it was going to have to be answered before my dad stopped running his, right? So for me to run my own thing, I couldn't run my own thing and him run his own thing and those be in the same place, if that makes sense. So business owners who don't um, get over this presumption that the business is as important to the child as it is to them, set themselves up for a lot of frustration. And a lot of times they just can't understand where the lack of motivation is coming from. And it's not that the kid isn't motivated. It's that they're motivated to do something else most of the time. So how do you, how do you, what do you do in those situations? Well, the first thing you do is you have an open discussion with the kid and talk about where their future is. What do they want to accomplish? And there has to be a lot of trust here because many times the business owners say, oh, yeah, we, talk, we talked about that. And, you know, he assures me that this is exactly where he wants to be. Or, you know, she told me that she's really happy in this job. And I talk to the child and I get a completely different response. And it, it's not because they're lying. It's because they don't want to disappoint mom or dad. And that come, in a lot of cases that comes down to trust. 
you know, do you trust your mom or dad enough to tell them the truth, even when it's something that they don't want to hear? Does your child have enough trust in you to know that you're going to love them and care for them and appreciate them and have the same relationship with them after they stop working for you as you did when they when you were signing their paycheck? So have the open discussion. And if the kid says, and I've seen this happen, if the kid says, I just, you know, I want, I'm a, there's, this is a great opportunity and I see all the things that I'm getting to do that I wouldn't get to do elsewhere and I really appreciate it, but I just don't know if this is where I want to work for the rest of my life. You say, okay, so tell me one of, what are the things that you see yourself doing somewhere else that you think are going to be difficult here or you think aren't going to be able to do here? And they'll talk about those things and you'll say, okay, well, don't try to change the company to match the kid's expectation. That's the last thing you could do because sometimes they're telling you the truth and sometimes they're being really honest about what it is that they, they the opportunity that they need to feel comfortable sticking around for the next 20, 30 years. Sometimes they don't, they don't know. They're, they're telling you what they think they're unhappy with. They're telling you what they think they need to see in order to be happy, but they're not quite sure. And the only thing that they're sure of is they're not sure. And if you go and say, okay, over the next six months, we're going to change this, 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 and this, and we're going to create the perfect environment where it's exactly like what you said you're looking for, and then you'll be happy and then you'll stay. Well, now you've taken, not, not only have you changed the game plan on them, you've taken away the only thing that they weren't sure of, because now you're telling them that all the things that you said had to change, I've changed, so now you don't have a choice but to like it and to stay here forever. And boxing kids in like that will drive them away faster than just about anything else you can do, especially if they're top performers, and a lot of them are. So just have an honest conversation about what are the missing pieces, what are the opportunities that they would look for? You know, and it could be something as simple as I want to I want to work and live in a bigger city. And unless we move the company, I'm not going to have that opportunity. It could be something um, like I want to work um, in a different field. You know, and we don't. I want to work in computer science, and and we sell air conditioners. And you go, okay, so th- those two aren't really compatible, but. As much as you're able as the parent, if you're in this role, try to create opportunities where your kid can explore those options. So if it's work and live in a bigger city, maybe it's not um, move the company to a bigger city, but maybe it's put the kid in charge of a territory that has a big metro area in it where they can spend more time there and they can see whether they like it or not. And a lot of parents resist this because they go, well, that's the last thing I want to do because if I do that, then they're definitely going to move. And I go, well, okay, but do you want to see your kids succeed? Do you want to see them do what they're passionate about? Do you want to have them get great opportunities in life? Or are you only interested in them fitting inside the little mold that you want to create for them? And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's the latter, but most of my clients are a little bit more mature than that. And they don't struggle with those same feelings of trying to cap their kids' potential that are the horror stories in family business. So, so if you just give them a taste of what they're looking for, a lot of times the taste is what satiates that burning desire to get out there, to get out of the company. And they will find a home here. But I, I really caution parents about trying to use that list of things that the kids said they weren't happy about or, or the opportunities that they want to find elsewhere and try to create those exactly word for word inside that company because that's usually going to drive the kid away. They see you as trying to manipulate them into a situation they can't escape from, and that can be suffocating, and that's what causes them to leave. Number six. Uh, ego trumps reality. So one of the things that um, that we see kids dealing with, and this one, this is another one that goes squarely to the kids, is rather than having an attitude of I'm lucky to be here and I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity, they have this uh, this attitude that I belong here. And the reality is that they are pretty lucky. The reality, and this you could kind of lump this one back in with that know-it-all attitude or an entitlement attitude. 
but it, it really has to do with the idea of belonging. So when you talk to employees who've come up through the company and they're top performers, one of the things that you hear over and over and over again is, um, you know, they've been really good to me. Um, I'm really proud of, of the company that I work for. Um, you'll often hear stories about how the company got them out of, of a financial jam or stood by them when a family member was sick or stood that by them when they were sick. Um, and when you talk to kids who've experienced a lot more blessing in terms of what the company's done for them and gone over and above the call of duty, you, you don't hear any of that stuff. They don't even bring it up. So one time I was talking to a senior management team, and it was about uh, I think were five individuals on this management team. And two of the five, well, there was a, a, the son of the founder was also in this management group, and there were four others. Well, two of those other four have been through significant events. One um, had a child who was born with Down syndrome, and they told this person told me how grateful they were for all the support that the business had given them during the pregnancy because it was a, a high-risk pregnancy. They found out fairly early on that the child had Down syndrome, and the business owner gave them time off to go meet with specialists. The business owner gave them time off to go to conferences and paid, in some cases, paid their travel expenses to get to these conferences to spend time with other parents of kids who had Down, Down syndrome. Um, business owner went out and found a support group. He had a, a colleague that he knew through business that also had a, a child with Down syndrome and found out that there was a, a parents group that met to kind of support each other. And they they were always on the lookout for new parents because they knew all the challenges that come with having a baby who has Down syndrome and the denial that that parent goes through and the struggle they have bringing the baby home from the hospital and everything looks great and looks wonderful and it's just hard for them to wrap their head around what they're going through and the gratitude that this person felt was just unbelievable and the second person had a spouse who passed away and told similar stories about how the business had gone out of their way to cover part of the funeral expenses had given her extended time off had allowed her to work from home while also assigning somebody who would call her on a daily basis just to check in and see if there's anything she needed. Didn't ask anything about work, just said, hey, you know, where are you eating dinner this weekend? Um, if you're going to church, you know, do you have lunch plans after? So-and-so would like to have you over. And just making sure that this person was cared for inside the company and outside the company. Now, the child, the son who worked in this business, had... Um, gone through some tough times of his own and he had been essentially bailed out of bankruptcy by the company. The company gave him um, a promotion and a loan and allowed the the, um, loan to be paid off from payroll deductions out of his salary. So he did pay it back. Um, The company had also helped him through a difficult time uh, where he was sick for an extended period of time. They covered his all of his out-of-pocket medical bills and um, provided somebody in the company to basically be his liaison between work and home. He worked about half-time from home for almost six months while he was recovering from, it was like a viral infection or something that he had. And, um, you know, I, I knew the backstory to all this, not because he told me, but because I had known the family for a while and I had heard from other employees how great this company was at taking care of its own, and they all cited these three cases. They cited the the parent of the child with Down syndrome. They cited the woman whose spouse had passed away, and they cited the owner's son who had this viral infection that just knocked him on his back for months and months and months and how the company worked with each of these three individuals through this. Now, the first two talked over and over and over again about how grateful they were to the company for doing these things for them, but the son didn't say a word about any of it. And I don't know if you would classify it as an entitlement mentality. I don't know if you would 
classify it as um, know-it-all. I think it's different. I think it fits in this last category where ego trumped reality. He really allowed his ego to say, well, you know, of course they they did that stuff for me because I belong here and they're going to do whatever they can to keep me here. Where the other two people um, basically said, you know, I don't know why they did what they did. Um, I just know that I'm grateful for every day that they, every day I come in here, I'm reminded that they stood by me in a time when most companies wouldn't have stood by me. So you see that more with kids, just the ego versus reality argument than you do with regular employees. Number seven, uh, this is something that applies to the owners. Too much change too soon leaves the rest of the company behind. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, the owner and the child can that the child can kind of see the future. They can see what's coming down the pike. Sometimes it has to do with that generational difference that we talked about last week, where two generations are better than one, and they're a little bit more. Maybe they're more in tune with the market. Maybe they're more in tune with the customer base. Maybe they're more in tune with the technology side. But they see something that other the others in the organization don't see, and they convince the ownership, that this is something they need to pursue. And it's almost like the two of them go off together and just start down this path. And everybody else is left wondering what in the hell is going on. Um, we kind of know that there's this new initiative or we, we know that there's these plans for this new product line, but oh, we, don't, we really don't know what the launch date is. We don't know what the price points are. We don't know whether we're going to be selling it in this market or whether we're going to some other market. And you see this scenario where the rest of the company is just getting left behind. And a lot of times it's because the owner is passionate and enthusiastic about whatever idea has been brought to their plate. And the kid just has all this energy and enthusiasm and they're going to take off and make it happen come hell or high water. But the rest, what, what happens is the initiative oftentimes fails because they can't make it part of the company. They can't get everybody's buy-in. And you see a lot of early success either through the prototyping phase or through the market analysis phase. If it's a service, they get the, the service kind of kind of roughed out and they launch it on a trial basis with some key customers and then it just flops. And you come back two years later and it's one of those horror stories. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I remember when this great idea when they decided they were going to get, you know, go move into South America and how badly that went. So just be careful if you're moving forward on a major initiative with your son or daughter who's in the business with you, make sure that there's the rest of the company is behind you too. A lot of times the owners will kind of assume that, well, they can't be doing all this work by themselves. They must have some help with it. The rest of the company must know what's going on only to find out that that's exactly what they were doing. They were doing it all themselves. They never got buy-in from anybody else. Or they were, uh, you know, essentially coercing the help they needed out of people on the promise that you wanted this done. And uh, when you run into situations like that, whatever the, the problem is that a lot of the initiatives that are being worked on, they're really good things. They might even be things that the company needs to survive, but you haven't gone about launching those the way that you normally would inside the organization where you would require not just one person coming up with a great idea. You would require them to demonstrate that their colleagues were on board with that idea too and that the company had the resources and that the other departments were in a position where they really could support it. And if I see it, if I see an owner whose child is in the business, who doesn't have a lot of operational responsibility, this kind of stuff happens quite often because the kid doesn't have anything else to do. And a lot of times there wasn't really a position in the company available for them, but the kid wanted to work in the company, so the owner made a position available. And they wind up working on these special projects most of the time, and very few of the special projects ever make it into the core business. And it's, it's for this very reason. The owner... And the kid working on the special projects just leave the rest of the company behind. And they look back over their shoulder when it's time to actually go to market. And there's nobody there. There's no infrastructure there. There's no support. There's no human resources. Sometimes the, the, the business has put capital in. 
but there's going to be additional capital that's needed, and the CFO has not been consulted on where it's going to come from or the banks haven't been brought along for the ride to figure out what they're financing, and the whole thing just kind of falls apart. So number seven, was too much change too soon, leaves the rest of the team behind. Number eight is lines of business etiquette are crossed, and the rest of the team sees it either as special treatment or, even worse, they mimic the disrespect. So this business etiquette uh, issue is one that it, it's, a, it's a problem for the parent and it's a problem for the child. So in most companies, the, the way people treat each other uh, you know, is fairly predictable. And it depends on the culture of the organization. Some are very informal and everybody is, is casual with one another. There's a, you know, whether it's an open-door policy or whether it's first-name basis or whether it's joking around – um, just that informal atmosphere, casual atmosphere kind of permeates the organization. That's the way the companies run. Other organizations are very formal and everybody has a title outside their door and you set appointments before you take up people's time and you know things are a little bit more cut and dried in terms of how you approach business. Well, when a kid comes in, it can upset all of that. And it usually tends to upset the uh, well, I, I was going to say it tends to upset the formal organizations, but I can think of situations where it's upset the informal organizations just as much. Um, so I'll give you an example of that. A company that's very informal, um, it's about, I worked with them maybe about five or six years ago, and they're about 20 employees doing probably about three or three and a half million dollars worth of business at the time. And Everybody just they, about six people had started this company, you know, or the owner had brought them in within the first year or so, and these were the senior, pretty much the senior leadership of the company, and um, everybody's on a first name basis. But even with these six, it was hard to distinguish them from the newest employee. Like everybody just had this um, familiarity with each other, and a lot. Of, it was a smaller town, so they all a lot of them knew each other. But uh, just as soon as you walked in the company, there was just kind of um, an acceptance. Everybody had a nickname. There was a lot of good-natured humor, never hurt anybody's feelings, just um, just real kind of back-slapping good old boy um, familiarity. And the son came into the business, and he had gone to business school, and he had lots of ideas about – how businesses should run and how they could kind of modernize the company's management style. And he wanted to put everybody on an org chart. And we kind of had an org chart, but it was basically um, we had three different groups inside the company and there was a head of each one of those groups and then a, a second in command to that person. And then everybody else was kind of flat. And he felt like everybody should report to somebody. And in the bottom tier of this company, you reported to the number one or the two, but there was no like line supervisor. There was no field supervisor. You're just a field guy or you were a, a warehouse guy or you're a machine guy. So we, um, we ran into lots of issues with him wanting to formalize processes and wanting to formalize relationships and wanting to bring agendas to meetings. And it's just because he, he had the owner's ear and he felt like he could do this stuff where most people who would have come in in his position would have looked around and gone, huh, this is not, uh, this is not a place where these ideas are going to work very well. And I'm either, if I really believe that these ideas are essential to running a business, I'm going to have to go find somewhere else to work, or I'm going to have to find a way to introduce these ideas that are also compatible with the culture of the organization. And for whatever reason, because he was the son of the owner, he was incapable of seeing that reality. He just couldn't, and I had the conversation with him a couple of times about, don't you see how this style is never going to work here? You know, and, and until the company changes 180 degrees and everybody starts wearing wingtips and starched white shirts to work, this is not going to fly here. It just doesn't work. And he couldn't see it. He felt like this was the best way to run a company and that's it. And so we encouraged him to 
to start looking around and find another place to work. You know, his dad had a great relationship with him, so he took it well. And not surprisingly, he wound up in uh, a law firm where he was. He decided to go back to law school, and everybody had their titles, and you had paralegals, and you had clerks, and you had junior partners and senior partners. And it, as I talked to his dad about it later, a couple of years later, it never really surprised us that that's where he landed because it's a very known hierarchical formal structure, and you know that works well. The opposite thing can also happen, though, where the the company does have kind of some formal processes in place and the kid comes in and just has no respect for any of that and just thinks that we ought to do away with it all because that's outdated or outmoded and it's not productive and the company doesn't um that the the values or the culture of the company that was there before isn't respected and it's kind of that um I can't put my finger on the word for it now, but it's that it's just the it's, it's, you want to call it a lack of respect, but that's um, oh, no, not going to come to me anyway. You get what I'm talking about. Um, so in those situations, there's really no other option than to just call it like you see it and just sit down with the the child and say, "Look, this is the way we do things here." And you may not agree with it. It may not be the style that you like. It may not be the style that you think is most productive. But it is the style that everybody has come to accept. And let's just go with it. If if the child is is um, is so indignant or so informal that it's bordering on disrespect, it really can become a problem in the organization because other people will pick up on it. And it happens most often at the lower levels of the company. It's, it's not going to happen a lot of times in the conference room with the leadership team. But if you, a lot of times business owners start their kids out at the bottom. I, th- I think that's a great idea. You know, learn every job in the company. But if, the, if at the bottom the kid doesn't have a lot of respect for the company and the way things are done and they just let this indignation um, you know, boil over in their comments to their coworkers, a lot of times that will turn into disrespect from the bottom up and other people in the company will start talking about the business in the same way and that's not healthy. So that was number eight. Number nine is the child becomes the new standard by which everyone else is measured. And this is a danger for business owners uh, where you, you do have somebody who's a real top performer and a child who's a top performer, and they come in and just knock it out of the park, and now they become the gold standard by which everybody is measured in order to get a bonus or promotion or anything else. And that um, that doesn't happen as often when it's not the kid who comes in as the latest employee who sets the new benchmark. A lot of times um, what happens when it's not the kid is the performance gets recognized and the business owner's grateful that they were able to they've been able to find this A player who's now knocking it out of the park. But the same way that the the kid is ungrateful some for opportunities that come their way in some cases, the business owner, when it's their child, can almost take it for granted that, well, everybody's supposed to act this way. You know, now my son has come in and proven that you can put those kind of numbers up. So now everybody should act that way. Or my daughter's come in and proven that you should be able to land any customer account. And so now I'm not going to take no for an answer when a salesman says they weren't able to get the deal done. So you just have to be, you know, as the owner, I say, look, understand, this is a, this is a compliment to you. You did a great job raising them. You did a great job. They're, they're smart kids. They got good genes. Um, unfortunately, not everybody that you run into in the hiring pool is going to look like they do. Not every person. And a lot of times it comes down to the fact that they, they are grateful for the opportunity. A lot of times it comes down to the fact that they do see themselves owning the company one day. It is as important to, to them as it is to you. They are going to work their butts off no matter what. And that affects their performance because they know they're future owners of the company. Well, you can't expect everybody who walks in the door to act the same way. It's just not going to happen. So uh, in those cases, it might just be the need for a little reality check on the owner's part. Just be grateful. When you get a kid who comes in and knocks it out of the park, be grateful. 
Number 10 is favoritism. And this kind of comes up uh, in two ways. The owner will do things for the child that he won't do for others. Last week we talked about one of the big pluses in family businesses is this opportunity for mentoring. Unfortunately, a lot of times the kid is the only person that the business owner mentors. The parent really doesn't go out of their way to mentor anybody else. And it might be because they're not as comfortable. Maybe they don't have, you know, they definitely probably don't have the same personal relationship with other employees as they do with their own child. But mentoring doesn't have to be an intensely personal relationship. You know, most mentoring relationships are very formal and, and very just focused on the business aspect of things. But nevertheless, the business owners don't do it for anybody other than the kids. So when that happens, uh, let's say that uh, the kid joins the sales team and he's the number two salesperson, but he's getting all this mentoring time from the owner of the business. And the number one salesperson goes, well, I, I put up those you know, numbers just as good, I, actually better than his, and I don't get any time with the owner. And so this favoritism mentality starts to develop, and you can't blame them for it. In a lot of cases, the the owner may not be trying to show favoritism. They just see the opportunity to get more involved, and it's low risk for them because the, the kid is not going to reject them. And so they take advantage of the opportunity rather than risk approaching the number one salesperson and you know, speaking into their life, offering some mentoring advice to them, um, and getting running the risk of rejection. You know, like, hey, you know, I put up my good numbers. You just leave me alone, or I don't really care. You know what what you have to say about better sales techniques. I'm closing all the deals I need to on my own, and I don't need your advice. And that's what business owners are afraid of. But and and yeah, I mean, sometimes you're going to run into that. But if you don't risk those kinds of situations, you're going to run into allegations of favoritism. If you're not willing to offer it to other people, you have to do more than just offer it to your child. So I think the other area that shows up is the the team members that at worst it's at best it's favoritism. At worst it's nepotism where they just see what's being done um, it's not. It's not because he was the number two salesperson. It's just because he's the business's. He's the owner's son, and you know those kinds of situations are never healthy. When people see you doing things for your kids just because they're your kids, then all semblance of of um, you know performance oriented management goes out the window, and they just go, "Well, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm not the owner's kid, so uh, you know, not, I'm never going to be treated fairly." And Again, I don't think that this is something that business owners intentionally do. I just think that they see the situations with their kids as lower risk because they don't feel like they're going to get rejected from their kids when they try to offer this additional help. Or they don't wonder they don't have to worry about, you know, whether the kids are going to or whether the, the employee is going to feel like it's appropriate or whether they're being criticized instead of offered helpful suggestions. You know, and it goes back to they have that personal relationship with the kid that they don't with the employees. Well, you should have a relationship with your employees where they trust you enough so that when you say something like, hey, I noticed you didn't get this um, this deal, let's go to lunch and, and let's walk through it and kind of share with me how you sold it and I'll offer you some suggestions on how you can do better next time. And that's something that a lot of business owners would like to do, but they don't have the relationship with the employee to to do that without feeling like they're going to get rejected or feel like they're going to offend somebody. But they do have the relationship with their kids, so that's exactly what they do. And instead of being seen as something that's mentoring and helpful, it's seen as favoritism or nepotism. So that's the kind of 10 worst. And like I said, there's probably some uh, redundancy in there. There are probably some areas where you could combine one or two or even some areas where you could flesh out and break some things apart. But I'll go back to what I said last week. Family-owned businesses are a joy to work with. I really enjoy it. It's a huge part of my practice because 
it's very common for, for parents to want to bring their kids into the business and want them to, to grow up experiencing what it's like on the payroll, what it's like inside the four walls of the company, not just as a kid growing up in a home where mom and dad were in the business, but as a kid who's actually working in the business. I think if you go back and listen to the two weeks, there's a lot more to look forward to in the best things than there is to be scared of in the worst things. Unfortunately, a lot of the horror stories you hear about family-run businesses come out of that very small population where the kids are immature and the parents are immature and there's no communication. And it's kind of like the uh, reality TV version of what family business looks like. And that hasn't been my experience out there in the real world. Uh, In the real world, family businesses are a great place to work and they offer tremendous opportunities for the kids and they offer a lot of fulfillment for the parents. So offer your comments up. You can go to Axiom Podcast, or I'm sorry, axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 018. Take a look at the show notes there. Leave your comments. We'll see you next week.